Hi, I'm Casey, and right here beside me is Kelsey. We are licensed professional counselors, mothers, entrepreneurs, oh, and besties. We know firsthand what it's like to wake up one day and think, how in the heck did I wind up here? Through our own journeys of self-discovery, we found that joy is something that has to be pursued through our own internal work. Now we are on a mission to help women from all walks of life understand themselves more so they can experience real lasting joy. Join us every Thursday to hear interviews with experts who can point you towards self-discovery and inner joy. We have something very frightening to talk about. Yeah, frightening. Yeah, because I don't know any of the questions. Right, Kels? Right, Case. (laughs) (laughs) So... I can't even really tell you what this is going to be about because I really don't know. I have a feeling it's going to be something related to searching for something in in your life or in our lives. I guess tell everyone a little bit about, well, in the introduction, we talked about joy. So do you want to start there? Yeah, I think that's a pretty good place to start. So joy is cool. Do you ever search for it? No. Never? No. Get real. Yeah, no. (laughs) So what's interesting is... That I always felt like I was searching for something, but it never even occurred to me that that thing might be joy. Like it always felt like it was success or happiness or excitement or lots of things. I would have never told you a couple years ago or four or five, ten years ago that my search was actually for joy because I really didn't know. I think even about two years ago, you weren't really sure because I want to get to the next question, but I'll wait a minute. I've been with Casey the entire time and the the process through this book. And I remember times where she's like, I'm just missing something. There is something I'm missing and I can't figure out what it is. You want to talk a little bit about that, Casey? Yeah, well, I figure since this is our first podcast, we might need to tell people what book we're talking about. And it's not actually a book book yet. It's kind of like a manuscript book at this point, but uh, it's called In Search of You. And it was something that came from a very, very difficult fork in the road for me. I wrote my first book back in 2021, and it was a business book called Fix This Next for Healthcare. And I knew immediately after writing that first book that I wanted to write a second book. I I just thought I was going to write a second book about business. (laughs) It turns out that that was not what was on my heart to write. And so the book that you will hear us talk about through this entire podcast is called In Search of You. It's a book specifically written for women who feel like throughout their entire lives that they've had to do more, you know, do more, be better, be a better mother, be a better parent, work out more, do all the mores. And it's really not getting them any closer to where they want to be in life and how they want to feel. So the book will come out in 2024, early spring. But when you talk about the book, then just so everyone kind of knows. Yeah, great. So a big thing is like the evolution of the book. I I can remember like first being around you and reading these little stories where I really got to get to know Casey and understand her. And I don't even think she realized the value in those little stories and what I got out of it. Lots of different stories about relationships, family dynamics, little moments and time that changed it all. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, that's how I tricked you into falling in love with me. Oh, yeah? Yeah, those little stories. It kind of (laughs) worked. Kind of worked. I know. Yeah, so as I was working on this book, man, it uh, like I think I did everything absolutely backward. And small disclaimer here, uh, Casey was like, I'm going to write a business book, and then I'm going to write more of a creative nonfiction. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write another business book. And I was like, mm, okay, which she is very smart in the business world. But reading those stories really gave me insight on her actual gift to kind of learn and grow and all of those great things. Those little stories. It was weird because I don't know. I'd always heard you're not supposed to do it like this. And so, of course, that's what I do. I just started writing what I was feeling and what I was thinking. And as I was, like I mentioned earlier, going through that fork in the road, you know, I was like faced with this decision of it was almost like in my in my life, like a light bulb came on and I realized, oh, shit, like I'm not really happy. (laughs) I've just been going through the motions. And I think for me, there was so much buildup around the launch of my first book that I felt like inside, like when I finally get this written, I will feel good. I'll be fulfilled. I'll have all, you know, it'll all, it's all going to be this one way that I've been working for. And so as I got closer and closer to that time, I had a lot of things going on in my relationship and I just, the the launch happened, the book was out there, and I really didn't feel any different than I ever did. So I just started writing about things that were coming up to me. Like, I just kept, I don't know about you, but like, I'm like a random memory thinker person. Thinker person, I love that. Yeah, so like in the shower or driving down the road or just in these, like a smell would take me right back to a memory or a sign or like a sign on the side of the road or, you know, seeing someone that reminded me of the way that my grandma used to stand or colors. Like it just started like bringing back all these memories. And so I just started writing them all down. What are some of the things that come up for you when you were writing your book? Like, what were some of those little things that readers and listeners will get to find out eventually? Oh, everything. I, I, well, I guess I sort of am still a little crazy. Little things like, for example, I realized that whenever I was so focused on the future and so focused on my goals that I was really losing and missing out on the present. And when you're missing out on the present, I had no idea the effect that that was having, not only on like my kids, but on myself. I just couldn't enjoy a moment. And I was always thinking about, well, I've got something I have to be doing. And back then, like I wasn't even aware of these little things. But when I was forced to slow down and allow myself to feel things again, I just noticed like if we're talking about little things like memories that I used to have with my grandparents, with my mom, with my dad, also like little triggers that would just get me activated in some way. It's funny because like, well, I won't go into a lot of detail, but like suitcases, someone packing a suitcase, someone saying the words, I'm done, (laughs) like sent me into this, like either a rage or some kind of, um, Emotional breakdown at closets had a significant meaning to me that I never realized before. 
Christmas traditions, certain foods that I would make, they just, I don't know, it just, it really done something and opened back up my memories that I think I'd locked away just as um, maybe a way to protect myself. I don't know. For those of you who don't know Casey, she is very headstrong. And so over the last, yeah, yeah, you are headstronger. But over the last uh, two years, there was times where I'd be like, why does that matter to you so much? Like, why did you get so upset about this? And not because I was trying to be mean, but more because I was trying to understand, like, where is she coming from? Give me an example. Well, the suitcase yeah. example, that's one. It was actually, I was like packing my bags because I was doing my laundry at my house. And it was like Casey snapped into this mood and I couldn't figure out why. I was like, I didn't, did I do something wrong? Like, what is it about this? And I realized that every Sunday when I packed my bag to go home to do my laundry, there was this, I don't even know, like this very eerie feeling with Casey. And it actually took a whole conversation to kind of understand I mean, you can speak on your behalf how you felt in those moments and, and maybe what you learned. Oh, yeah. Oh, dread. <laughs> well, I mean, this is one of the chapters of my book that I've been editing. And okay, so like when I see Kelsey walking down the stairs holding a suitcase, my mind doesn't automatically just go back to, oh, the reason why I'm upset right now is because of this. Because I don't know that. At that point, I don't even have the awareness to connect the dots, to figure this out. At that point, I'm just feeling something. And I don't like it. And I don't know what to do with it. So when I don't even have the language to understand and describe these complex emotions, me, just like most people, it turns to anger. And so that's what you see. So when you were packing those suitcases, I would just get mad pissed and sad. And and it wasn't until I started going to therapy very soon after with a therapist that was very methodically (laughs) forcing me to talk through details of stories from my childhood that I started to realize in my mind, my childhood, the... One of the recurring themes of my childhood was leaving, packing up and leaving. Like the meta, the meta of your... Yeah. Yeah. So someone gets mad at you, they leave. Someone gets their feelings hurt by you, they don't talk to you for two years. I don't know. Like there was no healthy conflict. There was no conflict resolution. I mean, I I dealt with a, a marriage that that I heard I'm done like so many times. And so in my mind, like when something wasn't conceivable, like when I could not understand it and when it, when I felt pain, I'm done. I'm just, I'm leaving. And so I think for me, those suitcases were just a metaphor for that. Yeah. Cause I wasn't, I mean, we weren't fighting or anything. We were having a really good day. And I had even told you earlier in the day, like, Hey, I'm going to go home and do my laundry. And mm-hmm. And then it started and I was like, oh no, like this has happened a couple of times and I don't think I did anything wrong. Kind of questioning myself, but in that I learned a lot about you and so yeah. Yeah. And and the thing about you in that situation, nobody had ever taken the time to see that and like see that for what it was and and I had never realized it. And so what was very interesting about the whole situation is that 
once we had that conversation and we built this awareness around that trigger, it sort of kind of went away. Yeah. Kind of like laying in the closet when you're overwhelmed. Yeah. You haven't done that at our new house. No. No. And, you know, that again, like, listen, I, I mean, I'm a licensed professional counselor. I've I have been a counselor since 2000. Is it six or nine? I don't know. I'm old. It's been ancient. a long time. Yeah. I'm ancient. <laughs> so, like, I know these things. I understand these things. Like, I get it. Blah, blah, blah. Whatever. But I didn't know this stuff about me. Like, I did not know. I did not know. And, and as a counselor, I was really, you know, I, I preferred working more in the here and now. So I didn't really think childhood experiences were something that were necessary. I'm the opposite. If anybody knows me, I am a past person and not like I want to live in the past, but I want to understand the past so that in the future and in the present, you can be there and you can make change. But see, why do you think I didn't want to be in the past as a therapist? it made you nervous. Because it would trigger me. Yeah. Yeah, because I had unresolved wounds. So I have like several questions here that you're walking into, and oh. this was one. I'm curious if there was ever a time when you were a therapist that your client would bring something up and it would make you question things about yourself. Yeah. When I started my group practice in 2015, I hired a clinician who was amazing. At that time, I pretty much focused on anxiety and panic disorder. That was that was kind of my niche. That's where I focused all of my treatment. I only took clients with anxiety, panic disorders. So the person that I hired was really good with complex trauma and chronic pain for a reason. And I, her and I had a deal where like, look, I will get them as far as I can get them but I'm not going there. So we would work together to treat these clients. And I mean, it worked. Was it the ideal situation? Probably not. But I mean, it's what I had to do. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And I think if I would have had therapy prior to being a therapist I did go to therapy, but I only went one time, so I don't really even count that. It was an awful experience. Went went to therapy like previously than yeah. the most recent. Yeah. Just once. <laughs> a one and done. Yeah. A one and done. Everyone. I just went once and I was like, oh, I feel better. I'm good. No. So, yeah. I mean, of course it triggered me and it made me think about myself and like it didn't, it didn't provoke me enough to really dig in and do more work. Because I was so busy growing my business. Yeah. I was really focused on what was two steps ahead of me instead of what was going on in the present. So leads me to my next question because you were talking about it and you were leading into it. You told the listeners about your recent experience with therapy and that shows up in your book several times. So I'm curious what was the most insightful therapy session that you had that gave you an epiphany to mm. let the work begin. Oh my gosh. What what was the turning point? You know, like in therapy when clients have that like aha. I mean, moment. I know what a turning point is. I, I just know, but... don't know which one mine is. So oh that's tough, tough, ain't it? Yeah. There are so many. Okay, so let me just give you the long answer. My very first therapy session, my therapist asked me one question that I could not answer. That was definitely an aha epiphany moment. I don't think you should let the listeners know about that yet. Oh, okay. Wait till they read your book. Okay. Well, I won't, I won't let you know about that. So I guess the next thing would be 
we were talking about joy because at some point as I was writing my book, because originally I thought the underlying theme was going to be about confidence and self-love and all of these things. Well, as I started writing more and more, I realized I, I don't think that's it. I think it's more about joy. And so I brought this up to my therapist So she started asking me some probing questions about joy and like when I felt joy and when I experienced joy and all of these. So I was telling her about times when I would spend the days, especially like in the summers, because I lived with my mom and my dad had weekend visitation or whatever. But I would go down to my grandparents' house and I mean, they were just like the stereotypical grandparents. You know, granny's always got something cooking and she <laughs> she's always trying to feed you, you know, like, are you hungry? And just all this, all this. And if you went down there and you didn't eat, you know, that was offensive. You're not from the South. No, I'm not from the South, but yeah. I totally know what you're saying. Yeah. So you have to eat. And you're so you're always eating down there. Cornbread and pinto beans. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, for me, it was more like Little Debbie's and Mr. Pib. What or- about that stuff out of the garden? Yeah, that's fine. But or she would get like the little baggies of Doritos. Anyway, you're you're getting me <laughs> getting you off topic. But it also is kind of important because I realize how much our kids love to have food in the house and how like important that is and they'll always talk about that. And I think that's ridiculous. Why is that the thing that you're so excited about? But when I look back, like my mom hardly ever had food in her house and my dad definitely didn't have food in his house, but my grandma and grandpa did. And I loved going down there just so I could eat and I would eat constantly. Anyway, so we're talking about that with the therapist and she she says, well, it sounds like you had a lot of joy there. And I was like, yeah, I did. So we talk about why and where else did I experience joy? And I didn't really experience that same kind of joy when I was at my mom's or at my dad's because, you know, at my mom's, it was like, got to go to school, got to get her homework done, got to whatever. It was just me and her. So there wasn't really a lot of things to do. So one of the epiphanies I had talking through all of that was I had somehow programmed my brain into thinking in order to experience joy, I had to leave. I had to escape. Like I had to be somewhere other than home. Yeah. Yeah. And so like I could never just let loose and be free at my mom or dad's house For a lot of reasons. I mean, there was a lot of reasons for that. But at my grandparents' house, I could. I could do whatever I wanted. And they they really facilitated that. You know, my grandma was like, oh, you want to paint the concrete garden statues? Sure, let's paint them. You want to ride on the concrete deer in the backyard yeah let's let's make you a dress and make you into pocahontas (laughs) i love this story yeah i mean so like my grandma was following me around the yard taking pictures of me dressed as pocahontas and i'm like posing and and then oh you you want a new purse well we don't need to buy a new purse let's just make one let's go find some fabric and it was always something going on so much so that all my friends wanted to be there everybody wanted to go to casey's granny granny sylvia's they'd call her or big granny but in my head like i associated joy with escape And so I had to escape my day-to-day in order to experience some kind of relief. And then that trickled into other areas and aspects of my life. Like when I was older and had kids and, you know, was married and everything, like it was really hard for me to experience joy at home. I had to leave. 
had to go somewhere and do something. What other things, and I know we're talking about therapy specifically, but what other things when you're talking about Big Granny and Poppy's house, did did that give you that home didn't? Everything. Safety, that emotional, sort of, like uh, to some degree, emotional safety. I didn't have to be on edge or like I didn't have to worry that I was being too loud or too disruptive or too seen and too heard because my grandma was just like, let's just tear shit up. Like (laughs) she did. She did not care. I mean, we could cook and destroy her kitchen and she would just think it was the greatest thing in the world. All the while, my grandpa would walk by just, oh, oh, hell fuck. You know, just huffing and puffing, and we just acted like he didn't exist. We just kept on. But just things like that. Like, I didn't have to I didn't have to be someone I wasn't there. I think, too, when I hear you tell stories about your experiences with your grandparents, I hear, like, predictability. Like, you always knew how Poppy was going to be. You always knew how Granny was going to be, and that was always a constant. Do you think that impacted it as well? Yeah. I mean, because at the time, like, my mom was struggling with some depression and anxiety. And so, you know, I don't know what the percentage is, but I mean, a lot of people do. And it's harder to parent your children when you are struggling emotionally and mentally. And so, you know, I had to be more hypervigilant just with watching body language and tone of voice and facial expressions. And and same with my dad. So, yeah, definitely they were very predictable in that way. And that the rules at Granny's were always the rules at Granny's. Yeah. It wasn't like some days we could and some days we couldn't. If we wanted to do it or if I wanted to do it, we did it. And something that you carry on with your children, and we'll get back to therapy in a minute, but something you do with your children that I've watched is just same rules, like consistency. Mm -hmm. And I think we've talked a lot about that just from grandparents and everything else. Well, I was one of those kids like, it not necessarily around the rules so much, but I'm thinking of, okay, so my dad used to do this. <laughs> my dad used to do this to me, and he really did mean well because he didn't want to tell me no. And so I was spoiled. Like, for, I mean, I was definitely the favorite kid. Still to this day. Yeah, I know I am. That's okay. <laughs> I don't care what he says. I know I am. Not a lot of both. Not of everyone. Like, they all had favorites, but I think I was my dad's. He didn't want to tell me no, but... He would tell me, oh, yeah, like, I'll I'll, I'll see. I'll, I'll try to come to your soccer game. Or, or sometimes he'd be like, yeah, I'll be there. He wouldn't show up. And I just remember telling myself, like, I will never be that parent, ever. And you can, because I know what it did to me. Like, it really caused me to be very anxious. I would rather him have just said, no, I can't come. Because I would find myself out on the field playing and looking over to see, like, is, is dad here? Is dad here? Is dad here? And he usually was not, but he didn't want to tell me no. And so he would tell me, you know, whatever he had to tell me just to buy himself a little bit of extra time. You can even ask Mamie, she, who's my oldest, like, she'll tell you if my mom's, I've given her a little bit more last yeah, yeah. year recently. But if I say I'm going to do something, she knows I'm going to do it. It doesn't have to be a punishment. But like, if I say, hey, I'm going to be here, she knows I'm going to be there. Yeah, at this time. And this mm-hmm. is. So, and that's just, I think that's where I get it from. So back to the therapy session that changed it Mm -hmm. and joy, what kind of things came up for you when you realized that in order to feel joy as a child, you had to leave? 
Well, the first thing that came up to me when she brought that up, that my very first thought was, oh, shit. And then I thought, and I said it out loud to her, I said, I'm teaching my kids this, aren't I? And she just kind of looked at me because before in that same session, but earlier in that session, I told her about how Christmas was coming up. And that was a really important time for me because I'd had all these memories with my grandparents and our traditions. And that was like the thing that I held on to for so long. And I couldn't give that to my kids that year because their dad and I were going through a really nasty divorce. And I was thinking, like, me and you, we were talking, like, what can I do? Like, can we go to Gatlinburg? Like, (laughs) what are some, what's something I can do to distract them from the shittiness of their life this Christmas? And so I was telling my therapist that prior. And then when I said, oh, I'm doing this to my kids, aren't I? And she just looked at me. I already knew. Yes, I'm programming them to think that. We have to go away to feel happiness and togetherness for a holiday. And that is not at all what I want them to feel. Yeah, well, I remember that Christmas specifically you in this panic. And I remember you mentioning Gatlinburg. And I was like, why do we have to go anywhere on Christmas? Like, I, I was really confused. And I was like, why can't we, like, just create that here? Like, why do we have to go somewhere? And at this time, I really didn't know. I think this was something, I guess, in the last nine months that you had landed on, right? About a year? Yeah. Well, and as I started talking to the therapist more about that, I realized the significance that Christmas has had on me ever since my grandpa died. Because my grandpa was like the glue of my family. He died back in 2014. And when he died, the year he died, which was in the fall, we never celebrated Christmas again as a family. And that was like our thing. That was a huge thing. And so it killed me. Well, when you think about childhood joy, what do you think about? You think about the holidays yeah. you're spending with you. Yeah. And so that just really, yeah, I think I've spent every year since my grandpa died really overly trying to make Christmas special. And so I'm overcompensating in a lot of ways. And it was just never the same. And so I I had experiences feeling really let down in different years with Christmas. And it's just tough. And that's kind of like when you were talking about what are the little things. Like another little thing was when I realized I didn't even have pajamas for my kids. (laughs) And like connecting that back to, you know, why I didn't have pajamas for my kids? One, because my ex would like not want to wash them probably and throw them away. But two, Because my grandma always used to buy all of the grandkids' pajamas for Christmas Eve. And we would wear those pajamas on Christmas Eve, and then we would have breakfast the next morning wearing the pajamas. And we wouldn't take the pajamas off until we were done with gifts. And then we knew that Christmas Day, the holiday, was over. When my grandpa died, she stopped. Never bought us pajamas again. Yeah. And so I think it wasn't like I was going to the store saying, no, I'm not going to buy my kids' pajamas because this makes my heart hurt. Somewhere in there, I think I was avoiding. Do you think with grief, and I'm not sure that I have really knowledge of this, like I don't have any facts, but do you think with grief, you do one of two things, you overcompensate or you avoid? Mm -hmm. And grief can be anything. It can be divorce. It can be loss of any, like loss of a dog, right? We talked about buying our kids a new animal, even a duck. 
A oh, duck. I'm buying them a duck. No, no duck. But yeah, I think we either overcompensate or we avoid the things that hurt, mm-hmm. hurt to see, hurt to look at. Or we do both, maybe. Yeah. I mean, because we can avoid and overcompensate at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So we're like avoiding the the, the core feeling, but we're distracting ourselves with something else that we're overcompensating with. So I definitely think people do that a lot. Yeah. So originally you told the listeners that your first book was, or the first. Maybe we should talk about sex. We ain't ready for that. And joy. We're not ready for that. Okay, go ahead. I was just going to see if I could distract you. Uh, okay. So first it was confidence. Mm-hmm. Why do you feel like confidence didn't fit this book? Because I don't think that that's what I was searching for. You know, the the book started with this working title of searching for something. Because I really do believe that, especially women, we are all searching for something. And we spend our life... I don't know, like chasing down things and going after this or that or having more children because our marriage isn't great. And we think, well, oh, another another baby, that'll do it. Or a dog or a pet. So we're always adding more to our lives so that we feel better about it. What happens when you add more? More responsibility, more chaos. Oh, it gets worse. Why? Because you are you you don't have that inner foundation to to and, be happy regardless. And that sense of self. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think what we do is we're really just burying ourselves. We're covering it up or we're excavating it. Either way you want to look at it. Just so that we don't have to face who we truly are. And this is a conversation for another day. But for me, I didn't even have an awareness of who I truly was until all of this happened. And I started going to therapy and I started having these conversations and writing this book. But I think a lot of things that I was doing, I thought I was searching for something. But in a lot of ways, what I was doing was running from fear. And so I think people get caught in this loop of let me do more. Let's get more work, more jobs, more money, more this, more that. And ultimately, I think our intentions are good, but I think we are really searching for fulfillment. and. At the same time, I think we're running from something we're afraid of. Yeah, like missing the mark. We're totally effing ourselves. We just don't know it. We don't want to know it. It's scary. It's really scary. So I think that as our listeners follow our podcast and listen more to these conversations, I think they're going to see themselves in these stories because I've yet to have anyone that's read any sections of my book as an advanced reader and not been like, oh my gosh, you're reading my diary. Yeah, yeah. So like all those little things that we've been, that we're too afraid to say out loud, we just decided to say them with access to the entire world. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of scary. Because we're dumb. (laughs) Actually. No, we we have wisdom. We are brave. (laughs) And we have wisdom. Yeah, I think... These are going to be hard conversations that we're having, but all in all, I think they need to be had. Okay. Anything else, Case? Nope. That's it. All right. Later, besties. Later, besties. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying our podcast and would like to hear more from us, leave us a review wherever you get your podcast so we can keep making great content like this. 